Hello, and welcome to the New Hope Church Podcast. Whether you are a member of our church family, either in person or online, or just checking us out for the first time, we believe that you belong here at New Hope Church, and we hope that this message speaks to you today. Don't forget to check us out online at newhopechurch.tv, and we'd love to connect with you on social media at New Hope Church TV. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy. Alrighty, I want to welcome everybody at the 288 campus, the Friendswood campus, the Alvin campus, the Webster campus, and everybody who's joining us in our online campus. I'm so glad that you're with us today. Are you glad that you're with us today? I'm, I am too. Y'all act like you got an extra hour of sleep. That's good. Um, if you have your Bibles today, or if you're going to use your phone or an app of some kind, uh, we're going to be in three different places today. Philippians chapter 2, that's where we're going to start. That's where we've been each week in this series. And we're going to go to Matthew chapter 11 for a specific topic today. And then we'll end up also in uh, Acts chapter 15 as well for a cross-reference. So if you, if you are that kind that wants to get there quick, uh, go ahead. Uh, Philippians 2, Matthew 11, uh, Acts chapter 15. I'll meet you there in just a moment. Next week, we're going to begin a new series that we're calling Q&A, Biblical Answers to Today's Tough Questions. And I'm going to be answering some questions submitted by our wonderful church family. We, a while back, we collected questions for maybe, I don't know, two or three weeks, and, uh, and we were inundated with questions. And just let me say up front, great questions, fantastic, awesome. Uh, secondly, let me say, I'm not going to answer them all. I'm not going to answer them all. Uh, there were just so many, so many people submitted, and also like one person submitted 40. <clears throat> God bless you, but... Uh, but uh, can't take out a whole year, you know, for that series. But anyway, uh, so what we're going to do is I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick some of, I think, the tougher ones that fit nowadays and what's going on nowadays, and, and we're going to try to answer uh, those. Other questions will be answered in the normal uh, flow of our weekend services. Others, we can post some resources online uh, for you as well. But join us next week as we go deep and we answer some of the questions that our people have. Today, let's do this. Let's finish up our series called His Mighty Strength. We have seen as Christians in this series that we, as we, we have available to us the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, and it is game-changing power. And today, we're going to see how this whole series and this whole thought comes together in a, in a beautiful, beautiful invitation that our Savior Jesus gives to us. And as we begin today, I want you to remember the premise of this series, and that is that Jesus is God, 100% God, uh, and yet he, he did not consider that equality with God something to be grasped. He came to this earth, 100% God, 100% man still, came to this earth. He uh, became our Savior on the cross. Hopefully, he is our Lord and Savior, but he is also the best example that we have. So the first thing that needs to happen for all of us, and the most important thing that needs to happen for all of us, is that we accept what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. Do you know what he did for you on the cross? Do you know? Uh, I don't know if you know this. God is a just God. This is kind of one of the questions that somebody asked that I should be answering next week, but I'm going to take a moment and answer it here. God is a just God. He's a just God. Therefore, if he is just, sin must be punished. Bad news! All of us have sinned, correct? So our sin must be punished. But I got good news. Jesus took your place. He took your place. 
He stood in for you. That's why he went to the cross to take the, the penalty for your sins. And so what the first thing that happens, what we're supposed to do is we accept what he did for us. And that's just the starting point, really. That's not the end point. That's just the beginning of our lives with Jesus. And once we're saved and we learn from him, we follow his example. So what did, what did he do? That's what we've been talking about in this series. And we saw in the series so far that Jesus did not consider that equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself. And so following his example, even though we don't have control, we do this, we empty ourselves of the illusion of control. I say illusion because we're human beings. We don't control as much as we think we do. And so anything that we think we control outside of our little, little tiny bit is just an illusion. And there's nothing more exhausting or frustrating to try than to try to control things that you cannot control. Uh, let me just say two words, Houston Astros. Um, <clears throat> we got shut out. <laughs> okay. Anyway, that's another sermon for another day. But uh, when, when we try to control things, uh, it's frustrating because we're not God. We don't have control. We can't control. And so it's an illusion of control. We empty ourselves of that illusion of control. And then we do just as Jesus most certainly did after that. We align our entire life to our heavenly Father's will. We empty ourselves and then we focus on what God wants from us, his will and not our will. Jesus repeatedly said, and we talked about this last week, that he did not come to this world to do his own will, but to do the will of his Father who sent him, or who sent me, he said, in first person. Um, it was all about his Father's will. And if we want to get this right, then our lives can't be about our own will anymore. We've got to be all about God and what he wants from us. And so, uh, emptied, aligned to his will. And then here's what I want to show you today. Uh, and it's going to come in the form of a beautiful invitation from Jesus. But our strategy moving forward is not to try harder. Did you know that? It, it, and I'm not going to preach today that if you're a Christian, you need to try harder, man. You need to try. That's not the answer. Somebody say that's not the answer. That the answer is this instead. Not to try harder in our own strength, but to yield to God's spirit. To yield to God's spirit. And and to gain his strength. If all you do is try harder, then you end up all the way back on step number one, which is let go of the illusion of control and then align yourself to, to the Father's will and then, and then yield yourself to the leading of the Holy Spirit with his power, okay? I wanna go back to the passage that we have started from each and every time in this series, and that's Philippians chapter two. And this time I'm gonna add three additional verses at the end of it because, because I want you to see what God the Father did for Jesus the Son after Jesus was faithful in doing what God asked him to do. This is Philippians chapter two, we're gonna begin in verse five. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. Another translation says, have the same mindset as Christ. Another translation says, have the same attitude of Jesus. Uh, so, so bottom line here, be like Jesus in your attitude, in your actions. Be like Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, something to be grasped. But what did he do? What did he do? He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So he did 
what he came to do. He did what his father sent him to do. So what did the father do? Therefore, God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And all the people said, Okay, so while he was here, again, God empowered him to do his will. And and by that same power, that same mighty strength, the strength of the power of the Holy Spirit, God raised him back up from the dead. And then he exalted him uh, to be that name that is above every other name. And, and now I want to I end this series with this beautiful invitation from Jesus to walk with him, to learn from him, to gain the mighty power of God in your life, but also, listen, to rest in him. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus is speaking to people who, and, and it was uh, pretty much the deal back in Jesus' time that the religious system that was in place, and we've talked about this many times in church, uh, the system of the law was wearing people down. It was, it was just something they were trying and trying to get to be good enough. They were trying to obey all the laws, but would always fall short. And we now know that that's an impossible task to obey every single thing, to never, ever sin. So they were falling short. They were trying hard, but ending up right back in the same place. I, ha I have a personal question for you today. How many of you have a, or have had a treadmill at your home? Anybody? Treadmill? Treadmill? Lots of people. Lots of people. Okay, that wasn't a personal question. The personal question is this. How many of you, your treadmill often... <laughs> people already raising their hands. Yeah. And the rest of you, we already got you. We already know. We already know because you raise your hands because you have one. But oftentimes, treadmills end up like this. I know ours did, but uh, my wife would actually put the clothes on hangers so it looked a little more organized than this. But, <laughs> but I, 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 I'm just going to say it out loud. Why, are treadmill, why do treadmills end up like this a lot? I, I'll tell you why. Because it's no fun to use a treadmill. It's just no fun. Um, I used to run a lot, which I probably used to talk about way too much, but I used to run a lot. And I, I like to run because, because when you run, you get places. You go through neighborhoods. You go through beautiful parks. You see a gorgeous sunset. You see a, uh, a gorgeous sunrise. You see maybe even the full moon like I used to often run at night, and I absolutely loved it. And the coolness of the night, even when it was hot, it would still, you would, you know, the, the breeze in your face. But, but all of that goes away when you're on a treadmill. You, the only thing you have in your face is the wall, perhaps. And, or maybe if you've turned yours some way that you could actually see a TV, you're a little bit better off. But still, you, once, you, once you step foot off of the treadmill, you're right back where you were because you didn't go anywhere. You've been in the exact same spot the entire time. And that's what religion is like. Religion is all this work. I'm going to try, I'm going to try, I'm going to try. And, and, then, and then you wake up one day, you're in the exact same spot because religion is trying to get to God, to try to be good enough to get to God. And that does not work. And it wasn't working in Jesus' day either. And the religious leaders acted like they were closer to God because of their behavior, but they were not. They just acted that way to keep their power over the people. And so the people were running in vain, in this, on this religious treadmill, and into that setting, Jesus gave this beautiful invitation. This is Matthew chapter 11. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. 
take my yoke upon you. And if you have your Bibles and you're not opposed to writing in your Bible, uh, I would circle that word yoke. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is, is what? Is easy and my burden is light. Let's dig into this passage for just a few moments, and I think we're all going to be better off because of it. So the word yoke here. Uh, when we think of yoke, we think of work, and that's what a yoke was for. But here, Jesus is saying rest. He's saying, my yoke gives you rest. And, and, uh, but when you think about it, yokes are not for resting or relaxing. You would never, ever go to the beach and see some guy on a lounge chair laid back with a yoke around his neck. That's never, that never happened to you, and it's never going to happen to you because that's not what yokes are for. Yokes are not for relaxing and for resting. They're for working. So why is Jesus talking about rest while simultaneously talking about putting on a yoke? Is he confused? What is he trying to tell us? Now, most of the time when we think of yokes, we think of a, a double yoke like this, and this picture right here helps those in church today who for this entire time thought I was talking about eggs. Um, <clears throat> this is typically what we think of, a double yolk. And some of you are saying, I like double yolks because it's... Okay. Most of the time we think of a double yolk, and so you would put two oxen in this. The, the weight of what they're pulling would be right in the middle of the two oxen. It would look something like this, and, and uh, then they could pull together, they could plow filled together, they could uh, pull a very heavy cart filled with rocks or filled with uh, wood or, or maybe with a harvest that they were bringing back to the house or whatever. But uh, this was a tractor before we had tractors, and it is still a tractor in many parts of the world today. But based on this thinking right here, that when Jesus was talking about a yoke, that this is what it would be like, um, I, think a, I think a number of people have gotten off track, and I've heard the teaching in the past that here's what Jesus meant by that. He, he, he meant, you know, a farmer, this is what a farmer does, he, he has an older experienced ox, and when he gets a new ox, he puts it with the older experienced ox, or the younger ox goes with the older ox, and then the older ox is able to teach it, to teach it how to pull, and so for a while the older ox is doing a lot of work because he's, this guy doesn't know what he's doing over here, but eventually the younger ox figures it out and starts to help pull his own weight as well. And many people, many people believe that when Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, um, they're thinking this is what Jesus was saying. However, uh, follow, me, follow me on this now, that narrative doesn't really work because Jesus isn't asking us to help him. He's not asking us to help him. Jesus doesn't need our help, by the way. Did you know that? He doesn't really need our help. And he's not saying, hey, hey, come and help me. This is a heavy load. Jump on the other side here and help me pull for a while. And then you're going to learn how to do it. And then you can pull your own weight. No, that's not what he was saying here. In fact, the word yoke was a common idiom or word that was used back in Jesus' time to refer to a, a rabbi's way of doing things. A rabbi's a teacher. Uh, every rabbi had students or disciples. Jesus was considered a rabbi, so he had students as well. And so what he was teaching here was my yoke, my yoke, the way that I'm living, the way that I'm asking you to live. That is, so when he says yoke, he's not talking about, you know, help me bear this burden. He's talking about the way that I do life. I'm 
I'm doing life, and I, not that I need your help, but I, I want to show you a better way, a better, a better way, because my burden is easy. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. And, and so just get the double yoke out of your mind, and let's go with a single yoke for now. And this is, although I think this one's for fun here, but you can Google pictures. You can see people in all parts of the world using just a stick within bundles of wood on either side. And, and so when Jesus is inviting us to take his yoke upon us, he's not saying, get on the other side here and help me shoulder this load. He's saying, do things, do things my way. Because when you do things my way, it's not as heavy. All these other rabbis, all these other teachers of the law, all these other religious leaders are putting more and more on you, but I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to do the heavy lifting of salvation for you. I'm the one that's doing what you need done. And then moving forward, you're going to have the power of God's Holy Spirit to live the life that, you're, that he's asking you to live. You're going to have his mighty strength. When, that's what Jesus is saying. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. You do things my way. So, so when Jesus says this, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. He doesn't mean that life is easy. How many of you know life is not easy? Figured that out. Life is difficult. But what he's saying here is what God asks of us is doable. It's doable because Jesus has done the tough work. And then in the day-to-day -day operations of our life, we get God's mighty strength. Now, let me give you some additional context here. In the book of Acts, um, the church began with Jewish people. So Jewish folks were the first ones to become Christians. And Jewish folks didn't much like Gentiles. Who are Gentiles? You, more than likely. And I say that because Gentiles were the non-Jewish folks. And so Jewish folks thought that Gentiles were unclean. They weren't supposed to touch them. They weren't supposed to do business with them. They weren't supposed to go in their homes. They weren't supposed to be around them because, because, because they thought God didn't like Gentile people. And so all of a sudden, book of Acts, church begins with Jewish folks, which is the way that it was prophesied that it would be that the gospel would come first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. It happened pretty quick because Peter's called to the home of uh, a man and his family up in, uh, up in uh, Caesarea Maritime, Caesarea by the sea, off the Mediterranean coast there by Mount Carmel, just a little bit uh, south of that area. And uh, he, it's Gentiles. But Peter goes in. He's led by the Lord to go in. He preaches to them. They accept Christ. They become Christians. They have God's spirit in them now. And, and guess what? Christians weren't happy about that. The Jewish Christians were not happy about that. And so... Peter has to go back to Jerusalem to where the church headquarters was at the time, <clears throat> and he has to testify before everyone because they are upset. They, and, and they want to know, why? Why are, you, why are you letting Gentiles be saved? Why didn't you require them to be circumcised? See what I did there? Circumcised. Why didn't you, why aren't, why aren't you making them obey Jewish law? Why did they just get a free pass to get in? It doesn't, they weren't happy, and so... So Peter stands before this uh, church council, Peter, who previously was no fan of Gentiles, no fan whatsoever, and he says this. He said, God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. So he 
God gave the Gentiles his mighty strength, is what Peter's saying here. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by what? Which is how we're saved, right? Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples? See the word yoke there? A neck on the, the disciples or the followers of Jesus that neither our fathers or we have been able to bear. <clears throat> but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. Back up one verse to verse 10. Why are you putting a yoke on the people's neck who want to follow Christ? And he says it here in the text, we're saved by grace through faith. We're saved by faith in what Jesus Christ has done for us, which, which leads me to say today, if you're burdened and if you're weary and you're worn out and if you're lacking his mighty strength in your life, there's, there's a pretty short list of possible reasons for that. I've jotted down four things for you today. The first one would be this. If you lack his mighty strength, it could be, it could be, because you're trying to do more than God is asking. Now, Jesus is our example, okay? And how did Jesus live? Did you know that oftentimes Jesus walked away from people? He walked away from crowds. There would be crowds of people who wanted to hear him teach. There would be crowds of people who needed to be healed, and Jesus would go, Whoop. Where'd Jesus go? We don't know. Where'd he go? He was here a minute ago. He's gone now. Luke chapter 5, verse 16 says that Jesus often withdrew by himself into lonely places. Now, I know that this might be a tough concept for you who have thought that Jesus was always there 24-7, all the time. He would not, he would not leave anybody with a, with a need of any kind, but Jesus often walked away to be alone with the Father. There are many examples of this. Read the Gospels if you don't believe me. There was time when he didn't have time enough to eat. He and his disciples didn't even have time enough to eat. There were so many people around, and he urged his disciples to get away, and he himself as well to get away. And he would get up most every morning early before his disciples would even get up so that he could spend time alone. There were a couple times when the crowd was so much that he was up against the lake and he just got in a boat to try to get away. <laughs> and there's one time that cracks me up. He got in a boat to get away from the crowd. And if you've been to the Holy Land, you know this. You can see it's kind of like Canyon Lake. Okay, sort of like Canyon Lake. If you've been there, uh, the Sea of Galilee, you can see the other side. And so he's sailing to the other side. The people just walked around the edge <laughs> and met him on the other side. He's like, okay, that didn't work. Um, but he was constantly trying to get away to be by himself. And I just want to say this out loud today. If you spend all of your time with people and no time alone with God, you'll end up following what people want more than what God wants, and people always want more. Listen, I love people. I love you guys. But I can't spend all of my time with people because if you do that, then you're going to end up doing what the people want, not what God wants. And if you just do what the people want, you're going to get burned out quickly because God's power is reserved for God's will. Another, another reason that we might be lacking his mighty strength. We're spending too much time on distractions. Too much time on distractions. I read a book a week and a half ago, 
and it shocked me a little bit. Uh, uh, it had a couple stats in it, and here's the stat that I'm going to take from this book. Uh, the typical cell phone user touches their cell phone 2,617 times every day. The typical, that's the average, the average cell phone users in the top 10%, which the book called extreme cell phone users, they touch their phone more than 5,400 times each day. 5,400 times each and every day. Um, the average person, this is from another article that I read, the average person spends two hours and 45 minutes every day on social media. Two hours and 45 minutes every day on social media. Other studies that we have talked about in church before show that uh, after spending time on social media, a person is less happy than they were before. But we keep going back like a dog returning to its vomit. That's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. It's from Proverbs, by the way. But it doesn't say social media. It says, as a fool returns to his folly, okay? And maybe it, maybe it does work in this case. I don't know. But I'm just saying it's a waste of time and energy. Get it under control, under God's control. And in fact, maybe it's time that we do something different. Jesus is our example. Somebody say amen if you're on board with that. Amen. amen. Okay, Jesus is our example. Jesus didn't have a phone. Okay, I'm not suggesting that you get rid of your phone by any, by any way here. I, uh, in fact, the argument could be made, and maybe you would be the one that makes it, to say, well, if Jesus, he didn't have phones when Jesus was here the first time. If he came back, he would get a phone. <laughs> and maybe he would. Then he could text his disciples in a group text, you know, and say, I'm hiding behind the tree to your left, you know. <laughs> Maybe he would get a phone. I don't know, but here's what I do know. He wouldn't allow it to be a distraction. He wouldn't have his face buried in it 24-7. He wouldn't be addicted to it. So, just talking. I'm just, I'm just talking today. I'm just standing here talking. How about we do something differently? If the distractions are taken over... Maybe that explains a lack of his mighty strength in our life. Something else. Maybe we're just straight up doing the wrong things. I'm talking about sin here. When you go God's way, you get God's strength. When you go your own way, you're on your own, in your own strength. And your own strength is very quickly depleted. So this is a valid question for all of us, myself included. Is there something in my life that I need to repent of? Is there something that I need to quit doing that is depleting God's power for me and hurting my relationship with him? Let's talk about our example. Our example is Jesus. Well, he was sinless. He spent zero time uh, or energy in, in sneaking off to sin or in covering his tracks after he sinned. He's our example, but uh, 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 bad news, we're probably never going to be sinless because we are 
fully human here and living in human bodies in, in this uh, corrupted planet. We're probably never going to be sinless, but I do think as we grow in Christ, we should sin less. That's a play on words that I was pretty proud of. <laughs> We're never going to be sinless, but we should probably sin less. And then one last possibility. Number four, we haven't given our life to Jesus. If you're in church today and you have not given your life to Jesus, you have not accepted the forgiveness that he offers, then you, my friend, are carrying around a, a weight that Jesus never asked you or intended for you to carry. Listen, the answer to all of these, doing more than God is asking, spending too much time on distractions, uh, uh, doing the wrong thing or sinning, or I could sum this one up right here, trying to live in our own power, the answer for all of these is to give our hearts to Jesus, accept his amazing invitation, and then to submit and to yield to the Holy Spirit each and every day. This past week, I read the, uh, the account of the most unwanted ship in the world uh, called the Pelicano. Anybody heard of it? I'm just curious at church. Anybody heard of it? Okay, this will be interesting for you then, hopefully. Um, the Pelicano, no one wanted it. No port would accept it. For over two years, it floated on the open seas and was turned away countless times, at least from 11 different countries that we know of. Here's an actual picture of the Pelicano. It wandered the Caribbean. It went up and down the west coast of Africa. It sailed the Mediterranean Sea. It was seen in the Indian Ocean as well. And it was only allowed to dock long enough to refuel. And then it was required to leave to go out to sea once again. <clears throat> During those years, the Pelicano changed names twice and uh, owners once. The reason for the rejection of this ship from every port in every country is because in 1986, the sanitation workers in Philadelphia and the city could not agree on a contract. And so the workers went on strike. And they went on strike for almost an entire month. For almost an entire month, the garbage was not picked up. And we've been talking a lot about essential workers for the past year and a half or so. Hey, guess what? Garbage, the guys who pick up the garbage for you, they're pretty essential in this world. And uh, in a city as big as Philadelphia, the impact was immediate. Trash started piling up everywhere. Everywhere you look, there were piles and piles of trash in uh, front of homes and along the street in front of businesses. Everywhere you looked, piles of stinky, rotting trash. Then they struck a deal. Sanitation workers and uh, the city struck a deal. Sanitation workers went back to work. <clears throat> they collected all of the garbage over the period of the next weeks, brought it to a location, and then tried to get rid of it. They couldn't get rid of it. They reached out to Ohio. Ohio said no, no. <laughs> Georgia, Georgia said no. All the states said no. They didn't have anything to do with all of this trash, and so and so they incinerated it, that is they burned it. And after it was burned, they were left with 28 million pounds of scrap and ash, which they put into the body, into the belly of a ship. That ship, the Pelicano, became an infamous floating garbage dump with megatons of debris and ash, and God only knows what kind of toxins and hazards. No one 
wanted the Pelicano. No nation around the world would accept it. It had a cargo of filth that it could not get rid of. I read that story this past week. And you know what I started thinking? I thought, I wonder if there's anybody in church that feels like this boat right here. Like you've been searching aimlessly, not finding a place of refuge. Maybe the mistakes in your life have piled up, the trash in your life has piled up, and now that those mistakes and the trash of the past have produced toxic fumes of guilt and pessimism and fear and bitterness. I will tell you this, when it gets to that point, we end up floating from one person to another person, from one situation to another, only to find out we get to hang around just long enough to get some fuel, but no longer than that. No one wants our trash. Maybe you know what it feels like to be adrift with a heavy burden, aimless, exhausted, weary. You know what, weary is different than sleepy. You can fix sleepy with a bed, but weary is deeper. But I have good news for you today. God can fix weary. God can fix weary with his mighty strength. And if you're there today, I invite you to take this invitation seriously. From Jesus, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you're gonna find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Listen to me, Jesus gives you a place to dock this church, this church. He gives you a way to get rid of your sin, his sacrifice on the cross. And he gives you the strength that you need to live this life of faith his Holy Spirit, his mighty strength, and he will never leave you or forsake you once you accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. Let me tell you something wild about the Pelicano. It's gone. The boat, the ship is gone, and uh, no one knows where it is. You can Google it yourself and you'll see. Uh, it's just gone, and there's a lot of speculation out there, but most of the speculation points to that it was probably taken onto some shore somewhere, and guys showed up for the next months, perhaps years, and cut it apart with torches and so forth, and began to sell those pieces of scrap metal to be recycled, which is kind of a wild thought that pieces of the whole of that boat or the deck of that boat that once upon a time was not welcomed anywhere might have been melted down and now are part of your car. <laughs> or might be part of a tractor that the farmer's gonna get out in a little while after he gets done with church out in Nebraska somewhere and go work in the fields. Pieces of that boat might be a 
beautiful bridge over a beautiful river somewhere in some other part of the world, which after reading speculation about what might have happened to it, I thought, listen, this is perfect because what God wants to do is he wants to take your life that maybe you think right now is unusable and he wants to use it in so many beautiful ways. But you gotta come to him. You gotta come to him and lay that burden down and not get in the yoke with him, but let him do what only he can do and that is provide you with salvation and get you the mighty strength that God offers. Listen, God can do some amazing things in your life. He can by his mighty strength. Amen? Why don't you stand with me, please? Okay, if, if you're that person that has not accepted Jesus today, uh, and your sins are still on your record, that is, you're still sailing around holding all of that in you, I, I wanna invite you today to come to the front of the room to see our prayer partners, to let them pray with you today. And how about this, get started on a new, better journey with his strength in your heart. Um, let him save you today, he will, I promise you that. Or if you need prayer for anything, come on down, let's bow. God, thank you for your love and for your grace. Thank you for your son and for what he did to us and for us, Lord, by dying for us and then giving us what we need to do this life. God, I pray that we would walk in your power each and every day. No more excuses, Lord. And I pray this, God, in the powerful name of your son who you exalted above every other name, the name of Jesus, Lord. I pray this in his name. And all the people said, Amen. God bless, guys. We'll see you next time. If you enjoyed the podcast, we encourage you to subscribe. Share it with friends and family, or let us know by tagging us at New Hope Church TV on social media. We would love to connect with you. Thanks for listening.